Do you like corn? Love corn. <laughs> Do you like cheese? Love cheese. Do you like doing cheesy and corny segments like telling people not to treat this as legal advice? Actually, I hate doing that. <laughs> but we have to do it anyway. And you have to listen to it. No legal advice. Bye. Bye. Hey, Ma- Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, an appropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello and welcome to the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. I'm Dennis. And I am Mark. And you're listening to episode 30 of the Hostile Work Environment. They said we wouldn't last. Yeah, little did they know. Yep, they're stuck with us (laughs) for yet another episode. I don't know that there will be a 31. Yeah, we'll see if we get through 30 first. Yeah. (sighs) <sighs> a lot so, in the news today. Yeah, well, it's been a, it's week. been a couple of weeks since we recorded. And yeah, I was about to I was about to lead in with well, good thing that there's been no news lately. <laughs> so, yeah, there has been some. There's been some Supreme Court action. Supreme Court action. There's been some uh, TV shenanigans. Some some Twitter TV Twitter Twitter problems. We'll talk so, about those. Yeah, we'll talk about those. Uh, what else is in the news? Did you have something else that you were thinking of? Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Trump's not going to North Korea. Yeah, uh, as of today, or, or as of the latest news. Yeah, but you know that could change. Yeah, so M- minute to minute, minute to minute. <sighs> we're the best at small talk. We are. We're so good. We must be riveting. Yeah, like there's all these people that are like. Screw this and switch over to some better podcast. At this right. Point. Yeah. No, that's why we see a, a huge like <laughs> uptick in people who abandon the podcast at 30 seconds in. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> these guys suck. Yeah. So everybody kind of was expecting, I think, that given the nature of what we do, that we were going to talk about the Supreme Court case that came out yeah. uh, last week as we record this. Um, we almost did like a special little episode about it. And then we realized, you know what? That's just not our style. No, not really. Especially people don't listen to us because they want like to know about the law. Well, or like in this case, it's kind of. I mean, like I kind of nerd out on it, but I'm not sure that it's. I do a little bit, but man, it, it's like boring. It's a little boring. So we are going to talk about it, but we're not going to lead with it because no, we're going to pare it way down. Because Roseanne went ape yesterday. Yes, we'd much rather talk about Roseanne. Much, much, much rather talk about Roseanne. She went ape. Did, did you plan that? A little. Oh, a little. Dad jokes. Yeah, sorry. No apologies. I just said sorry. That's inconsistent. <laughs> I'm not apologizing to you. I apologize to our listeners. How's that? Well, for those listeners of ours who don't like use Twitter or Facebook or watch or television. watch the news. Do you want to tell them what happened? Well, Roseanne... Who has had a history. So we're talking Roseanne Barr of the TV right, show right. from originally from the 80s, 90s, maybe more 90s than 80s, if I'm recalling. God, I thought it was more 80s than 90s. Maybe it spanned both. Yeah, I think it did. Uh, you know, her show Roseanne was kind of picked back up by ABC last year. Um, yeah, to great a reboot. A I reboot think is what to, call it. to significant news and ratings, especially at the beginning. I saw that they fell off pretty you know, significantly, yeah. but renewed for a second season. 
and was kind of topping, theoretically topping ABC's lineup this coming fall. But she has also had a history and been in the news of the last several years um, as being very supportive of the president, which does not make her super popular, I would think, in a lot of Hollywood circles. Um, Mel Gibson's house, perhaps. Maybe. So I said very popular. Yeah, Um, okay. So uh, she uh, has frequently uh, tweeted uh, just very um, pro-Trump and very conservative political viewpoints. Um, I think that would be fair to say. uh, Certainly a lot of retweets of... um, of tweets that are not what I think we would call politically correct. Indeed, no. Um, much in, in that same vein. So She got into it with Chelsea Clinton yeah. recently, indicated that Chelsea Clinton had married one of George Soros's kids, which was incorrect. Right. Uh, I actually uh, went to high school with Chelsea Clinton's husband. Mark Mesvinsky. Is he related I, to Soros? He's not wow. that I know of. I mean, I don't know did, his did whole lineage. Like something I read on Twitter was incorrect. Well, yes. Huh. Wow. I mean, again, I don't believe so. I don't like I said, I haven't seen his family tree entirely, but <laughs> hmm. uh, I do not believe that Mark Mesvinsky uh, is related to Soros. And uh, did you go to the wedding? I was not invited. Lame. I lost contact with Mark after high school. He was a he was a class behind me. At my was tiny he Mark with a K school. or Mark? With he a was C? also Mark with a C. Wow, that must yeah. have been confusing. And a super nice guy. Wow, huh? Super cool. nice guy. How did they so, tell you two apart? Well, I were mean, you like Mark A and he was Mark M? Well, yeah, and we were in different grades, as I just said. Oh, so, okay, you know, and maybe slightly didn't look entirely the same. Were you like handsome Mark and he was just like ugly Mark? Reverse it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, so Roseanne tweeted about about Mark, even though she probably didn't know his uh, name. Uh, yeah. And um, yesterday she made some comments. And of course, we, we do know prep and we have no notes when we do the show. Not. So who would do that? I'm forgetting the name of the Obama advisor who... She uh, compared to. Uh, she said they looked like the offspring of the Muslim Brotherhood and the Planet of the Apes. That's right. Because the Planet of the Apes can reproduce. So, so she managed to be offensive to two separate groups all at the same time. A minimum of two separate groups at the same time. Really? Who? Planet of the Apes fans? Well, anybody who believes that calling somebody an ape is related to a slur against African-Americans. Right, which... Right, and then anybody who's Muslim. Oh, yeah, Muslim. Right, forgot yeah. That one. Yeah, you forgot about that so fast. Um, and I believe that's the tweet that really seems to have uh, caught the attention of the world. Um, though we were commenting before we went live here that... You, you, you kind of went through. You can just go through Roseanne's some, Twitter feed and you can find like a thousand things to get all butthurt about. Right. And so this may or may not have been the worst of the bunch. No, um, probably not. If you go it was back just, in time. It was just the one that really inflamed everybody. Um, but that, yeah. So there you have it. So in the end, uh, the backlash was severe, swift. And ABC decided to cancel Roseanne's uh, second season. 
Right. Uh, Wanda Sykes, who I believe is a producer of the show, said that she would not be involved. Correct. And other cast members of the show, uh, I believe, called the tweet abhorrent, um, though they have not been quite quite so um, vocal, I guess, in the same way about the show being canceled, uh, as that seems to mean that their jobs uh, are lost at the same time. Right. Which kind of brings us to why we're talking about it, right? Yeah. So there's an employment issue here. Tell us about it. Well, I mean, I think there's a bunch of them. Uh, And I think one of those has to do with what we hear a lot of people talking about with regard to free speech. So why isn't Roseanne entitled to free speech around her political beliefs and still be able to keep her job? Well, and that's the thing about it. Roseanne does have free speech rights. She can go on Twitter and make all the racist comments she likes, as can anyone else. And have what not happen to her? Well, she has, ABC has no obligation under the law to maintain Roseanne's employment when she goes on and makes racist tweets on Twitter. And why is that? Because the First Amendment, that thing that we always talk about when we're talking about free speech, applies to actions by the government, which means the state, the federal, the county, the local government. And at least as of today, ABC is not a government agency. They are private. And in the private Not state media. Not state media. I wouldn't think that ABC is first on the list when that does happen. Although one could make an argument that Fox News is state media. Oh, well, media. that's why I just said not ABC would not be first on the list. But ABC, not state media... Somebody working for ABC, while they have First Amendment rights to say whatever they want, they do not have the right to keep their job when ABC takes offense. And that's exactly what happened here. Yeah. So, by the way, the Obama aide, Valerie Jarrett. Thank you. Who happens to be African-American. And, you know, which which is the other thing is we'll get back on track here in a minute. But when we talk about jokes. When you aim a particular joke at a particular person or group of people, it takes on a different context. Like, you know, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was all bent out of shape because somebody else had called Donald Trump an ape and managed to keep their job. And she thought they should be treated the same. But of course, you know, if you stop and think about it in the context of history and racism, there's no racial connotation when you call Donald Trump an ape that there might be when you call an African-American person an ape because that's a slur that's been used against African-Americans in a racist way. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Anyway, now that that's off my chest, back to the employment issue. So before – so I mean I think we've established pretty well here that there's no First Amendment right that she has to keep her job. No. And we've talked about that issue in the past on on other podcasts. We have, though I have an interesting case this week, and we'll come back to Roseanne in a minute. Yeah. But I have an interesting case this week uh, that I think provides the counterpoint on that. I'm just going to read a little bit about it. Do tell. So this comes from uh, Ken White's Law Splainer. Uh, Ken White tweets under Pope Hat, and he has a great podcast also. What's Pope Um, Hat? At Pope Hat, like his symbol on his... Oh, that's his tweet. His Twitter handle is at Pope Pope Hat. Hat. Um, And uh, I've been following him for years. He has uh, an interesting case that came up um, in Texas. And this just came out uh, uh, about a week ago, it looks like. 
Um, Olga Zuniga is uh, an executive assistant slash secretary for the court, uh, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Okay. And she worked specifically for one of the justices, Kevin Patrick Yeary. I'm just going to read from this article from from Law Splainer here. Um, mm-hmm. She's been on the court for 14 years, responsible for filing, copying, calendaring, and other administrative duties. She became an administrative assistant to Justice Yeary, an elected Republican, in 2014. She asserts that Justice Yeary himself routinely posted partisan political issues on social media. Huh. In 2016, Justice Yeary noticed that Ms. Uh, Zunica's Facebook page had posts critical of Republicans, including President Trump, and supportive of Democratic candidates and issues. He, quote-unquote, counseled her about her posts. And again, let me just be clear. This is from her complaint. It's not validated. Right. Um, That he counseled her about her posts and on several occasions expressed disapproval of her posts and the views that she expressed there. Uh, she alleges that in September 2017, after seeing uh, her Facebook posts critical of Texas Governor Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Patrick about immigration issues, that Justice Yuri terminated her, citing her Facebook posts and later fighting her attempts to get unemployment insurance. Um, what do you think if she's right? Well, here's what it boils down to. <clears throat> She, as a public employee, actually does have free speech rights that are protected by the First Amendment. And further, she has due process rights that are further protected by the U.S. Constitution before she can be terminated. The question becomes, though, can a, to, is, is it like no limit for public employees to say whatever they want? That's always the question, right? And the answer to that is no, not usually, and it kind of depends. And you'd look at things like when she posted these things on social media, was she making it clear that she was voicing her own personal opinion as opposed to voicing the opinion of the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals? That's one factor, certainly. Um, Another factor I would look at is, is her position within the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals so central that somebody reading those posts could look at them and go you know what, I'm not going to get justice at the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals because they're a bunch of left-wing kooks, which raises an interesting issue because usually when we look at a workplace rule, we want to enforce it evenly amongst everyone, right? That's right. This might be one of those cases where you can't because if the executive assistant to some judge goes out on social media and says something negative about President Trump, can't imagine what she'd say, but, you know, says something negative about our our esteemed president, that would have very little impact, one would think, on somebody's trust in the Texas criminal justice system. Agreed. But if the elected judge went out and said a bunch of political stuff on social media— that could raise an issue as to, you know, wow, I right. disagree in, with in that, that regard, judge. His, his posts might be more damaging than hers if somebody wanted to fire him over them. Exactly. So you might actually have different rules for different people depending on how central they are to the administration of justice. Yes. Uh, interestingly, so uh, the law splainer here sets out what the actual factors are. And I think you're pretty darn close. Um, the first question 
is whether your speech is on an issue of public interest in the first place. Right, which this is. Which this is. So for no for instance, he says, I thought, I thought his example is, is uh, really, really spot on, right? If your speech is Doris in HR is an asshole. Yeah. That's not really going to so much be in the public interest as opposed to something that's more political in nature, right? Unless Doris is like the president or something. Right. Maybe. Maybe. But Doris is an asshole. What else is new? What else is new, right? Yeah. So, okay. You don't need to tweet that. The second question is whether the speech is part and parcel with your job duties. And you you address that. Right. Um, If if you're Sarah Huckabee Sanders – and you tweet a bunch of stupid stuff on social media. Not that she ever would say anything the, the least bit stupid. Stupid. Um, that's her job. Right? Right. So if she doesn't that's do different. her job well, she can be disciplined or fired for right. what she says or does not say. The third question is a balancing test. So in determining whether a public employer's discipline of an employee for speech violated the First Amendment, the employee's First Amendment rights, the court must balance the employee's interest in free speech on the issue in question with the public employer's interest in the orderly and efficient operation of the public entity. Very good. So I think you, you came pretty close to nailing all of that. Thank um, you. Good job, because I totally did not prep you for that. Close counts in like law and hand grenades. That's right. So uh, I thought that was an interesting counterpoint to Roseanne. It just happens to come out at the same time. And we have talked about this issue before. Um, But I think that in a a vacuum here, without knowing if it's true or not, just putting that aside for the moment, if what Ms. Zuniga says here is true, she very well may have a pretty solid claim. I would – gosh, I would think so. On a First Amendment issue. I would certainly counsel the court not to go in that direction with, with it. So let me bring us back to Roseanne here. Oh, please do. Because, yeah. Because <laughs> we love Roseanne. That's right. Um, At least we love talking about We her. love talking about Roseanne. Um, my friend John posted on Twitter an interesting oh, yeah. question. What was that? Would the other employees who are now losing their jobs because of Roseanne and her tweeting potentially have a claim against her for tortious interference with business expectations. <laughs> Which is a real tort. Which is a real tort. Right? And it's it's distinct from uh, tortious or intentional interference with contractual relations because it and it does not require a contract. Right. So But you have to have an expectation of some sort of business opportunity that somebody else came along and interfered with, right? Correct. So I don't think so. And here's why I don't think so. Even though it doesn't require a contract, I still believe that it requires the interference to be done either with a wrongful motive or by wrongful means. And what that means is like basically somebody was out to get you. They had a wrongful motive or... They did something using some sort of power or ability, not in like the superhero sense, but like they had the ability to exercise some sort of power and did so in a wrongful way, thus leading to the result. So here's a question for you, because I've seen mixed 
mixed interpretations of how this tort exists, which would be on a state-to-state basis anyway. How true? Some would say it needs intent to do something wrongful. Right. Others say it's intent to act in a way that you knew or should have known might result in the same thing. Well, that sounds like a negligent standard as opposed to a willfulness standard. And that's going to vary from state right. to so state. So I just called it tortious interference. I did not say intentional versus versus negligent. negligent. So I think Dennis just poked himself in the eye. Yeah, it, it's um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, you, you know this is a podcast. You don't need to point out like visibly stupid things that I do. But I like to. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So um, – I think in this case, if we're if we're on a intentional standard, right, right, that involves intentional malice or an intent in the way that you're talking about, I don't think that we have that here. I agree. Right. If we're talking, Roseanne did not intend to sabotage her own show. Right. But if we're talking, if it was like she really hates Susie and makeup, and she stopped and plotted like. I know how I'm going to screw over Susie and makeup. I'm going to go out and twit, tweet, twit. I'm going to tweet some <laughs> racist crap, and then my show will get canceled. That'll teach Susie and makeup. Then Susie and makeup would have a case. Good luck with that, Susie. Right. But we don't have that here. We, I don't think. No. I'd but be shocked. We might be closer to a negligence standard. Maybe. So here's here's kind of one summary of how the elements of this claim might be put together, right? Yeah. So. The plaintiff has to show all of these things. The plaintiff had a business relationship with another person or business. Okay, got that. The defendant knew about the relationship. Check. The defendant, Assuming she knows Susie in makeup. Well, but Maybe I think, she does John Goodman's makeup. What if Roseanne doesn't even know What if Roseanne just knows that there are employees who work on the show? Maybe that's enough. I think it probably is. And she probably knows many of them. Maybe not all of them, but she knows many of them. Does she speak to them or is she like one of those people that hangs out in her trailer? And I know she comes across as all like working class on TV. I have a feeling like, you know. I don't know. Somebody pins her And that's not where I'd like to speculate. Just Yeah, because I'm just not sure. She could be one one who seems so approach, uh, approachable but but really isn't or maybe she's just like the coolest person and so yeah, maybe so. super approachable and yeah. um I don't know. Um okay, so plaintiff had a business relationship, defendant knew of the relationship. The defendant deliberately acted in a way that would cause the relationship to go bad or to end. Deliberately. Yes. Does that is that another way to get intentionally in? So yes, so so Here's the way that one article that I've read describes it, right? In proving that the defendant ruined the business relationship, the plaintiff must show that the defendant acted intentionally. The plaintiff does not have to show that the defendant acted out of malice or spite as long as the defendant acted while knowing that a business relationship existed or was likely to exist and that his or her actions would likely harm or destroy the relationship. Gotcha. So it's deliberate in that, like, she didn't like sit on her keyboard. It and, wasn't and butt tweet. Right. It was something she specifically intentionally did. Right. And she then the sat question down is, at her keyboard and said, "I'm going to say some racist stuff on Twitter," and then typed it out and hit right. return. Should she have known, or did she know, or should she have known then that having done so intentionally might jeopardize the show? Yes. And you know why? Because there is a ton of stuff out there 
in recent memory that if Roseanne bothered to like pick up variety and read what's going on, she would know that other people have been thrown off the air for doing stupid stuff like that. Or lost their advertisers or any number yeah. of different potential yeah. things that like come from Bill from O'Reilly bad on Fox News. Right. Um, that that bearded weirdo on Duck Dynasty who said that like, you know, black people are, you know, were happier before civil rights. His show got booted for that. Right. You know, it's like, yeah, you say some racist stuff on TV. Guess what? You, you're probably going to get going to get in trouble. So possible claim here. Maybe so. So here's one other interesting twist. Yeah. This morning or late last night, I forget which one it was, after Roseanne said she was not going to tweet anymore and went back on that real fast. She indicated, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, that her tweet storm yesterday that caused all of this ruckus was because she was on Ambien. Ambien. Everybody's favorite sleeping pill to mix with booze. Does that change the equation? If it's true? If it's true. Which, by the way, have you seen the latest on that development? I'm not sure. This is, this is happening me, in real time, people. This is so happening in real time. I don't like, know. We are I haven't watching, checked in an hour or two. So. We are watching the stuff roll as we're doing this podcast. No, like like literally, I am on, I am on Twitter right now to, to look up the latest news. And I want to read to you a tweet. And this is from Ashley Koss, the head of media relations, North America, Sanofi U.S. Sanofi or Sanofi, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, is the drug maker that produces Ambien. And I, I think I did see Ms. this Koss, in a tweet <laughs> using the official Sanofi account said, well, all pharmaceutical treatments have side effects. Racism is not a known side effect of any Sanofi medication. That's awesome. It is awesome. But is a lack of judgment a side effect? It's totally. You ever take Ambien? Especially if you I knock haven't. it back with like, you know, a half a fifth of whiskey. So let's say that she had. Not that I. Does that give her an out here potentially? Um, assuming she otherwise meets the elements, which I think is a close call. Yeah, maybe. Um, does that give her an out in that it wasn't foreseeable to her in her present state of mind? Well, and then that's kind of an interesting point. And then we get into other areas of the law. Right. When you are intoxicated, do you have the requisite intent to go out and commit stupid things? And, you know, if that was true, nobody could be convicted of drunk driving. Right. Because you could say, like, yeah, I was too drunk to not drive. Right. It, it doesn't work that way. They, they look at it, yeah. You had the intent to get drunk, and then you did some stupid stuff. If somebody slips you a Mickey into your drink, like you go out to a bar, you have a roofie, and then you ass out, you know, you can say, like, yeah, I'm not responsible for that. But if you, like, take some Ambien and chug a half a pint of whiskey, and I don't know that Roseanne did the whiskey part but you know look if you do ambien you know if you want to have a good trip you got to drink with it so if that's what she was doing she intended to pop the ambien 
and maybe chase it with something good. And then she's totally responsible when she asses out. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that gets her out of it. No. Um, I, think I think it just makes it look stupid. I, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think this is a likely lawsuit. But and, and, and here's the thing. Do you think, like, you take, like, Martin Luther King Jr. and give him some Ambien and he starts saying, like, flaming racist crap? Well, let's, let's, it. let's be clear. It's not, it works it's not like all the things she was tweeting before this weren't entirely Were they not all racist. all Ambien tweets? Like an entire like Twitter account. So of I like, mean, maybe this steps it up a notch, but it's a notch. Maybe if that. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was a great question. Totally. And and an interesting way to talk about a tort that we've never talked about on the podcast before. So is are people going to sue Roseanne? That would be fascinating. Keep in mind, they've all got jurisdiction in California. You can sue anybody for anything in California. It's the land of opportunity. Legal opportunity. Yes. And on that, we're going to take a quick break. I think it's time for a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's exciting. Exciting. Just I, I can't wait to talk about class action waivers. Jesus Christ. Be right back. So the big news out of the Supreme Court, they released a decision in the case of Epic Systems Corp v. Lewis. Woohoo! Woohoo! Yeah, go Epic! The basic gist of which is to say that class action arbitration waiver agreement thingy mibobs, you know those things. That was really well said. Well said. I'm just reading from the court's opinion. So if you want to take issue with this, you you write to like Judge Roberts. Anyway, those (laughs) class action waiver arbitration thingamajiggers are lawful. And they are not barred by Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. So let's talk about what is this, first of all. Yeah, what the hell? Okay, so... Really what we're talking about here is is compelling employees, so requiring your employees to sign uh, an arbitration agreement right. that includes as part of it a waiver that says, I agree not to participate in any sort of class action against the company. And instead to bring those claims via through, arbitration. Through arbitration. So this uh, lawsuit and all the legal proceedings that have been happening nationally on this issue for the last five or ten years now really come back to the interplay of two laws. Right. One is the National Labor Relations Act, which Woo-hoo. we have spoken about actually quite a bit on the last couple of episodes. It's my favorite act. It's Dennis's favorite act. Because it gives me a job. Yes. Yeah. Um, Without that, my children starve. Likely. Yeah. Likely. Um, the other is the FAA. Right, the Federal, the Federal Arbor- Aviation Association. Yes, the Federal Aviation Administration, Administration. I believe. Yes, no. no. Um, this is not flying. This is arbitrating. Yeah. This is the Federal Arbitration Act. What, what was that? We like the NLRA, not the FAA. Oh, you were like this. I thought you were like, like, no, I thought you were trying to say it was the Federal Arbitration Act. Like there's more than oh, one. Oh, no, no, no. There's just one. I, I was, was like, hiss- no, I'm pretty sure there's just one. F- okay. It hiss- was a hiss. Okay. Wasn't clear. So I'm just rooting for one over the other. 
it's like a sport. Well, if you're rooting for one over the other in this case, then you're going to end up disappointed with the outcome. I always go with the underdog. All right. So what does the FAA say? The FAA says courts will uphold arbitration agreements between private parties. Yes. And we have a we have a There's, very very deep public interest in arbitration because it relieves the burden on the court system. Correct. So if we're going to err, we're going to err on the side of enforcing arbitration agreements. Okay. What do you think of arbitration? Let's let's keep it in the employment context. But what I mean, just in general, yeah, just in general. What so do you, I have very mixed be, opinions and mixed experience because because a lot of people. Let me just preface by saying a lot of people, and especially a lot of other employment lawyers that I know, yeah, think it's the bomb. They do. They want arbitration wherever they can. They advise their their clients that they should include arbitration agreements, in whether they have class action waivers in or everything. not, in everything. You want fries with that arbitration agreement, right? So. Not sure I go down that that path. I don't either. So what? So what are the supposed? What do people say are the benefits well, of arbitration? And before we get to that, just okay. for everybody's purpose, let's remember what arbitration is. Arbitration means instead of going to a court to settle a lawsuit, you go in front of somebody called an arbitrator. They're not employed by the court system or the government. They're actually employed by the parties who pay them a fee to hear the dispute. They don't necessarily follow the same rules as the court when it yes. comes to procedure or evidence. They are still usually a lawyer. Still usually a lawyer. Usually. Oftentimes always. a retired judge. Yeah. Or a judge who's got a little side action going. Yeah. Could be. Uh, it may or may not, depending on what you agree to in advance, have discovery in the same way that you would right. in court. It might have limited discovery or no discovery. Right. Or the arbitrator might just be at their discretion, in which case it might be discovery for all. Yeah. And it often is. Okay. And then that arbitrator, so, or often it's a panel of arbitrators, it can sometimes be. Sometimes it's three. Yeah. Uh, Always an odd number render, you get stuck. Render a decision. Right. And that is binding on the parties. Right. And it's so, extraordinarily hard to appeal it. Right. Right. I mean, Basically, this, you have to show the arbitrator was on the take. Yeah. Which, good luck with that. Yeah. So why do people love this stuff? Well, I mean, I think the, the, the things I hear, that, well, the, the thing I hear the most is that it's allegedly less expensive. Yeah. Because it, it curtails a lot of that discovery process that you end up spending months if not years in before a case ever gets to trial or right. before a case even gets to a motion to try to, to get it dismissed in some way through summary judgment, um, you might spend years exchanging years. documents, fighting millions of dollars, motions over depositions, documents. I mean, it's so I think it's viewed in, in a lot of corners and I think often legitimately yeah. as something that can decrease the cost of uh, the litigation process generally by curtailing some of that uh, back and forth on discovery, by limiting right. the amount that you can get, um, by not having to go through the court system generally. Right. But not so fast. Not so fast. So let me ask you this, Mark. Why not skip arbitration altogether? Why not just have and make your employees, if they want to come work for you, make them sign an agreement that says, I will never, ever, ever, ever sue you. 
Well, because you can't. And why not? Well, because it's I'm going somewhere. Because generally, I mean, uh, you can't release future acts, right? You can't say I'm not going to do something in the future based on something that hasn't happened yet. Right, but you are when you sign an an arbitration agreement, you're saying I'm not going to sue you that way. Fair enough. Right? Fair enough. Why not just say I'm not going to sue you ever at all? Because then you're taking away somebody's rights under the law. Bingo, exactly. And that's why arbitration agreements ultimately can't fulfill their promise of being fast and cheap. Because everything they do to become faster and cheaper arguably takes away somebody's right under the law. I sue you for age discrimination. Okay. I want discovery into everybody else over the age of 40 who's ever been fired. Well, if my arbitration agreement says no discovery... How do I prove that you have this history of right. hating on the old people? How do I prove my claim? Well, now my rights under the law have been denied. Right. And so what, what does an arbitration an arbitrator do? They're going to they're gonna say, no, you get some limited discovery on that. And then they say, yeah, I want some more. And they'll be like, okay, yeah, okay, that's totally yeah. reasonable. And pretty soon you've got as much discovery as you did in any court. Yeah. Only difference is you're paying an arbitrator to make those decisions against you. Instead That's of right. you know going to the judge you already pay taxes for. That's right. Another thing that happens. Yeah. Scheduling. Oh yeah. So, oftentimes maybe it does work out pretty well that you have a curtailed discovery. You get to that arbitration um, hearing. We'll call it a yeah. hearing instead of a trial, right? But sure. it's effectively the trial. Yeah. Right. You get there and you've scheduled four days for it. Right. You get through the four days and oh my, we are only about 75% of the way there. We need to schedule two more days. Yeah. Everybody gets together. They look on their calendars. Yeah. And sometime in 2019. Yeah, sometime next year. And now, all of a sudden, I have to prepare for trial all, all over, over again. again a year yeah. later because who remembers where we were? Nobody. We have to go back. We have to spend weeks listening to transcripts, going back over the evidence, going back over everything that happened so that we can pick back up right off, right where we right. left off and still be competent. And you know what's fueling that dynamic? Here's the thing that I don't like about arbitration. Who's paying for the arbitrator? Usually in an employment case, it's the employer. Right. But in any event, it's the litigants. Mm-hmm. Who chooses the arbitrator? The litigants. The litigants. Nobody forces an arbitrator upon you. You actually have to decide Consent. amongst right. yourselves like who's going, who the arbitrator is going to that be. That in and of itself can be an expensive process, and trying that, to find exactly. somebody to, to, that works for both sides. For their, you know, time and effort to do that. But here, here's the real problem. There's never an incentive for the arbitrator to go, okay, defendant, okay, plaintiff, you've had enough time. I'm done with you. I'm going to give you two days, and if you're not done in two days, too bad. There's no incentive for an arbitrator no. to do that because if they did that, then whatever party felt prejudiced by that is going to tell their entire defense bar or their entire plaintiff's bar, oh, never agree to arbitrator Alifans. He's unreasonable. Right. And then your children and, starve. Right. So what do arbitrators have an economic incentive to do? Drag it out. Free for all yep. and drag it out and never say no to anybody. And then what else do they do? And at then, the end. Oh, at the end, they will take forever to issue a lengthy written decision. That does what? Splits the baby. Every time. Every time. <laughs> to make each party the least happy and 
least unhappy yeah. the arbitrator can. The other side wants $100 million. You want them to get zero. It's going to it's gonna turn out around $50 million. There's just no it doesn't incentive matter what not you do. to shoot for the yeah. moon because they're going to come somewhere halfway to the moon. Every time. I don't know if I've ever had one where one side just won. I've had a couple, but they're rare. I haven't had many lately because I've generally tried to keep my clients yeah. out of it. Yeah. But again, it's the same economic incentive. If an arbitrator does their job and gives somebody undeserving zero, counsel for that undeserving person is going to let the world know that arbitrator is terrible. Yep. And then that arbitrator will never get work again because the parties have to agree on the arbitrator. And like, just like you have been in this situation, I'm always in this situation, you've got an arbitration coming up, you ask around and say, hey, what, is, what do people know about arbitrator elephants? And you'll get a whole bunch of opinions. Yep. And if all the opinions come in and say, oh, he loves plaintiffs, I'm not going to agree to arbitrator Alifans. And then right. if all the opinions come in and say, oh, he loves defendants, the other side's never going to so agree. So the only them. ones that end up being acceptable are the ones that split the baby exactly. and don't piss off anybody on either side. Exactly. Judges don't have that. They they just get assigned. <laughs> they, they get assigned. They don't owe anybody anything. Yep. And they can come in and say like, and I know a judge here in Portland who's notoriously awesome at this. He'll come in and say, how long do you guys want for trial? One side will say three weeks. The other side will say two. He's like, okay, too bad. You get four days. Each of you gets two days. This is the time you get. If you're not done by then, too bad. So sad. It's going to a jury either yep. way. And they put actual clocks. Puts actual clocks yeah, in the courtroom. It's like a chess match. It's like, like a chess match. Yeah. And when you're up saying some stupid crap, your clock's running. So you think, ah, oh, do I need to say this stupid crap? And then you shut up. And we have efficiently administered justice. Yeah. A trial in front of that judge it's going to cost you half as much as a trial in front of the average arbitrator. Yeah, absolutely. If because yeah, way less, you take that to an arbitrator. We want two weeks. They want three. Arbitrator's going to say six, six, I'll, seven. I'll multiply eight. It. It's okay. Two times three I, is I six. I charge by the day. I give a discount by the week. It's it's a broken system. So, how many lawyers? So you can tell I'm I'm not a huge fan. How many lawyers do you think are listening to this, just shaking their heads at us right now? Probably a bunch. There's a bunch of lawyers I know yeah. that are just like, oh, arbitration agreement. Got to so, have one of those. Got to have your dip. Tell us why we're wrong. Yeah. Send us a note. Tell us why we're wrong. Stories at HWE Podcast. Because this is a very divisive issue across lawyers. We just happen to be on the same side in this case yeah. uh, on this particular issue, Dennis and I. But I know that there's a lot of folks out there that like this is like this is the thing that will get them as riled up as FEMLA versus FMLA. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe so, not that riled up, but pretty riled up. But pretty riled up. We so, didn't even get into like one of my like favorite beefs about why arbitration sucks. Please tell me. On those me. rare occasions when you get screwed, what can you do? Not a whole lot. Live with it. Suck yeah. it up. Walk it off. Yeah. It's very hard to get an arbitration decision overturned. Yeah. There's a limited number of circumstances. But it's limited. more than just the arbitrators on the take. But and it varies a little bit by jurisdiction. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Okay, so now let's put this back in the context of the case yeah. at, at issue here because I think we're both a little bit more moderate on the question of arbitration when yes. it comes to having that class action waiver. Correct. Now, what's the benefit of having the class action waiver for employers? This might seem like an obvious yeah. question, but let's, let's just ask it. So here's the deal. 
on a lot of wage and hour claims especially, there's like one or two people. And this is what the average wage and hour claim looks like, by the way. It's not like, oh, like XYZ Corp never pays anybody and they're working as slaves. It's not that. What it usually is is like, oh, XYZ Corporation rounded this penny. Um, they rounded it down <laughs> instead of up. Right. So from years 1996 to 2018, each employee lost $24.93 due to penny rounding. And it's Walmart, so there's right. you know 40,000 employees. And then – so there's a class action where some, And then they're in California, and right. if you didn't pay them their final wage correctly on the last day, they get a month penalty. Yeah. Wage times all – you know, right. however many thousand employees there are. And all of a sudden, uh, you're looking at, for many companies, wage and hour in particular, but, it, you know, any kind of class action along these lines can be a bet the company kind of litigation. Totally. It can kill you. And there's some, you know, ambulance chasing, better call Saul looking kind of plaintiff's lawyer out there who's, you know, going to buy a new yacht if he rings the bell on one of these wage and hour class they actions. Still, right, because the plaintiff's attorney on the class action still gets a percentage. They get a massive and percentage. And each individual claimant might get five bucks, but that attorney yeah, might after get five million. He might get five million. And here's the thing. If you go out to like 100 employees and say like, hey, guess what? Your employer rounded down instead of up on those pennies. They've screwed you out of $24.93 over the last 18 years. 99 of those 100 employees are going to go, yeah, whatever. Right. One might get bent out of shape. Might. So if they each had to sue individually, you're not going to get 60,000 lawsuits. Yeah, you might get six. Six. Maybe. And so in that sense, class action waivers are really a way that you can you know, narrow it down so that the people who are actually aggrieved actually do something about it. And the people that don't care just don't have to participate. You have, I, I don't know about you, but like I get in the mail all these time, all the time this some piece of paper it's written on like this super thin onion skin crap that lets me know that I'm, you know, a litigant in some class action oh, yeah. in the Eastern we District, the BFE, and you know, if I don't want to, I have to opt out or opt in or do some stuff. And I'm like, screw that, and I recycle it. Yeah. Right? Generally. That's because I don't care. Right. And I don't care that I'm going to get $3.35. Okay, so now that we have been branded as the defense lawyers we are, <laughs> yeah. um, I would, would put the caveat on this that like this does not mean – that we're saying it's okay for employers to not follow the law no. because having these waivers means it's going to be so much less expensive for them if they don't follow the law. And if you do screw somebody out of you know three dollars and thirty five cents of their wages, they can sue you for three dollars and thirty five cents and recover that plus right. their ninety thousand dollars in attorneys no. fees. I also so it's a foolish thing to do. You, I also want to be clear from my own point of view on this that again, given my predilection against arbitration agreement right. and arbitration generally. The only place where I would find using this opinion or um, creating an arbitration agreement to waive a class action would be on very technical wage and hour things that are so hard to comply with that can yeah. still become bet the company. And that's in particular in California. Right. And if I'm advising clients on that, also I'm typically the land of opportunity. Right. I, I'm if I'm advising clients on that, 
I'm typically saying, do you have California operations? Yeah. Right? And if you do, I would highly advise a limited arbitration agreement in the nature discussed under this case, right, to, to, to waive your class action rights on wage and hour questions. Yeah. And probably leave it at that, right? Allow the individuals who are upset about a wage concern, right? Because in California, like, let's be clear, like, if you miss a final wage payment and you don't write it within 30 days, right, that that employee gets a penalty up to 30 days. Right. Multiply a month of wages times thousands of employees oh, yeah. on a small, tiny technical issue. You you're talking it. millions and millions of dollars on a technical mistake that in, 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 a, in a state where it's virtually impossible to be compliant all the time. Right. Because they've made it so hard to be. Exactly. Right. That doesn't mean you don't make the effort to be compliant and right. But but you protect this yourself. is a way to protect yourself as an employer. Yeah, it's like and I'm not saying that I'm in favor of generally an arbitration yeah. agreement to waive class actions on sex discrimination. I'm not saying right? like go out don't and drive your like, car recklessly. Right. I'm saying drive safely, but also have insurance. Right. Protect yourself. Yeah. And this is a good way to do it. You know, and again, only to, to, I think, the two of us, where the benefit of the waiver that you're getting on the class action outweighs the difficulty of having arbitration, which we generally don't like. And, you know, what happens when you do have an issue that comes up and let's say you've got 10,000 employees and only 100 of them take you up on it. But now all of a sudden you've got 100 arbitrations you've got to do. Oh, good God. Right. So think about that also. Totally. All right. Well, geez, we thought that would be a short segment. And hopefully you're not all sleeping. Well, no, we kind of got worked up on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it it, it wasn't as dreadful as we thought it might be. Well, it was pretty dreadful. As dreadful. Fair. It's low standard. All right. Do you have a story for us? Yeah, we'll be right back. Uncle Mark. Will you tell us a story? If you ever do that again, (laughs) the answer is no. But today the answer is yes. Today the answer is yes. All right. Lay it on us. Hi, Mark and Dennis. I'm still a probationary period listener. I just want to be clear. Like, there are no probationary period listeners. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, it is. 90 days. On our podcast? Yeah. What does that mean? It's 90 days. And If we don't like you... We can cut you loose on oh, the eighty ninth day. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're stuck with us. Yeah, but okay. You know, this uh, is an at will podcast. It's an at will podcast for us. <laughs> I'm still a probation. You're obligated. Yeah, I'm still a probationary period listener, <laughs> but so far I'm hooked. I especially enjoy the listener stories and think I have one worth sharing. Excellent. Lay it on us as a hashtag millennial in HR. My profession is considered a novelty amongst my friends. Inevitably, at social gatherings, the topic of our careers comes up, which usually leads to a demand for a workplace horror story. This is the one I'm currently touring. Oh, nice. This was several years ago at a former employer where I had been promoted into a generalist role. The morning of the incident, I went to my company's on-site cafeteria to prepare my oatmeal for breakfast. While waiting at the microwave, I observed one of our employees, Terry, stumbling down the hallway. Terry. Terry was a bit of an eccentric employee, so I continued to watch him as he wandered out uh, to our patio and began drinking from a 7-Up bottle. Hmm. 
His face was flushed and shortly after buried his face in his hands. Not working with him every day, I wasn't sure if this was truly concerning behavior or just Terry being Terry. (laughs) There goes Terry again. Yep. (laughs) So I went back. Staggering. Staggering around in the morning while I'm making my oatmeal. That's right. Uh, So I went back to my desk and called Terry's manager. I asked, have you noticed anything off about Terry today? And immediately his manager sighed, knowing exactly why I was calling. Uh Uh-oh. The manager came down to my office and told me that two different employees had approached him that morning to report Terry's unusual behavior. The manager decided to investigate by engaging in friendly morning banter to observe Terry's behavior further. During this conversation, Terry shared that he was feeling tired because he had stayed out late attending the Alice in Chains concert at a local venue. No way! Way. I knew you'd like that part. I do like that. I've seen an Alice in Chains show or two. I like Alice in Chains. Uh, Terry further explained that he was invited out afterwards to a party with the band, and they ended up crashing at his no apartment. No way! I mean, it's coming from Terry. I don't know if it's true, but... Uh, I, I'm inclined to believe Terry. Yeah, uh, you want to. You want to believe I Terry. I want to believe Terry. I like this story. Terry said that he was stressed out that the band was still at his apartment when he went to work and was worried that it would damage his place in his absence. I still remember how completely dumbfounded I was, not only due to the story itself, but also by how calmly the manager recited it to me, accepting it as fact. Not knowing how else to respond, I flatly asked, so do we think he's drunk? (laughs) To which the manager responded, well, I suppose he could be, as if the thought hadn't occurred to him. As in still drunk from the night before? Yes. Our policy required at least two supervisor-level employees observe and document the employee's behavior before we could initiate our reasonable suspicion drug testing protocol. I was able to serve as one witness, and we agreed that the manager would go back to his apartment, but go back to his department and further document Terry's behavior. A short while later, Terry's manager called me and said, "Hey, just so you know, I can't find Terry." Uh oh. At the same time, our admin began knocking on the door frantically, say, stating that she had the police on the line for me. Oh, no. They weren't allowed to tell me the full details, but the police were able to share that Terry had wandered to the fire department next door <laughs> and simply would not be returning to work that day. <laughs> Shortly after this call, we assembled a team of exec- executives and HR to discuss our plan on how to move forward with Terry's employment. I suggested that Terry's behavior may be a sign of a bigger issue and that we should consider the implications under the FMLA and ADA. Astoundingly, the group was still fixated on the possibility that grunge legends Alice and Chains were in this man's home. Yeah. And as a result, he should, be, he should be terminated for walking off the job. Keep in mind this. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. They, they view Alice and Chains as a bad thing? I, that's my, that's the implication here. It's the opposite of, of Dennis Executive. Yeah, I'd be like. That makes them awesome, and it Bring should them that, to work. that should be a protected class. We'll have Alice in Chains Day. Alice in Chains at my house. Forget a, Jeans Day. We're going to have Alice, Alice in, in Chains, Chains Day. Day, and it's it's a protected activity. Totally. Yeah. No, I think they're thinking the opposite. Um, keep in mind, this was both after we discovered his left behind Seven Up bottle containing alcohol vapor, and after I googled Alice in Chains tour schedule to inform the team that the band had a show in Ohio the following night, ten plus hours away, and that it was. Unlikely they spent the night. Oh. Luckily, I convinced the group to call our outside counsel, who agreed that we should seek out Terry to determine if an accommodation was needed. 
we were able to contact Terry, who admitted that he had been under the influence at work. He then failed to show up to two meetings to discuss the situation, did not respond to voicemails or written requests to engage in the interactive process. We ultimately ended up terminating his employment due to job abandonment. Epilogue. Uh, Terry did end up contacting us after his termination just to state that he'd be seeking an attorney regarding his separation. Oh, good. I never did hear from a lawyer, and Terry sadly passed away about a year later. Oh. I always end the story with, and I just wanted my damn oatmeal. (laughs) God. Oh, that was epic. Great story. I loved loved that one. Loved it. I mean, it's... The part about Terry dying is kind of I mean, of yeah, that kind of that's kind of a sad end. I had kind of a, a an attachment. Yeah, due to Alice and Chains. Yeah. Um, if you have a story, uh, Alice and Chains related or otherwise, um, that you think we would like to read on the podcast. But we are specifically soliciting nineties grunge rock stories. If you have them. But anything else will do also. True. Uh, email them. To me at stories at hwepodcast.com. Yes. And I will read it on the air. Possibly. Mark is. If it makes the cut. Mark is the stories editor here at the hostile work environment. Yes. So, one of many hats I wear. Yes. He is difficult to please. That's right. So make it a good one. Please. But if, you know, you could come up with a sound garden or mud honey story, we will definitely read that. Even if it's not related to employment. Right. Just your random like Random band stories are yeah. totally fine. We, we, we'd be down with that. Yeah. Crazy celebrity encounters. Like, who's the most famous person that's ever slept in your house? Oh. Or in your office. Yeah. Either one. Send that story Send to that us. story to us. Stories at hwepodcast.com. Um, you can tweet at us. We are at HWE Podcast. Yeah. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, Dennis uh, is the director of Twitter media for yep. HWE Podcast and uh, is always putting out interesting articles. Yeah. Um, and do you know what we have in common with your Aunt Joyce? We also have a Facebook account. <laughs> yes. Uh yeah, just like for hostile work environment on Facebook, which I haven't updated in a few weeks because, yeah. you know, there's like six people who read it. Right. And most important of all, how do we get paid? Patreon. Patreon. We actually don't get paid, but we do get some of our costs covered. Yes. Um, this is a labor of love for Mark and I. We are both taking time out of our billable days right now on a Wednesday afternoon now to we record. Are, which is kind of messed up. Um, don't, don't tell my boss. Um but yeah, it, it costs a little bit to put this podcast together, and we're we're getting closer to being able to cover those costs. Um, we're able to have things like, you know, high quality audio thanks to our Patreon patrons. Yeah, um, and we run the occasional Patreon only episode to yes. show our gratitude. So, so look for us on Patreon. W- Patreon. www.patreon.com slash HWE. And if we get enough money, we'll hire an editor. Yes, to cut out parts like that. We can't afford an editor, so we just leave it all in. Yep. More entertainment for you. Yep. All right. And that brings us to the conclusion of another episode of The Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. 30 down. How many to go? Yeah. It's, It's life's great mystery. 
Anyway, Bye. stay in school. Don't do drugs. See ya. They turned me loose from the nervous hospital. Said I was well. Mm-hmm.